We all hang on to hope that our wildest dreams just might one day come true, don't we? I mean, it's okay to dare to dream, right? Well, if anybody tells you otherwise, you make sure they listen to this. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, the program that says you are not too old, and it is not too late. You can do the things you've always wanted to do to be the person you've always wanted to be, and you can live your life with passion and with purpose. That's what Growing Bolder is all about, and that's what this particular program drives right home. Amen. You know, the phrase is ordinary people living extraordinary lives. And the more of them you hear from, the more of them you hang around, the more of uh, you finally realize that you can be one, too. And we've got a couple today, folks, uh, totally different, but their messages are similar. One is Carl Honoré. Uh, we're going to speak to him from his home in London. He's an award-winning journalist. He is called the father of the slow movement. He's the guy that said we got to slow down, we got to take a breath, we can't get caught up in the rat race that we all live in. His latest project is a book called Boulder. And I said, wait a second. Uh, he reached out to me and said, we're Boulder Brothers, why haven't we spoken? So we did, and we're going to share that interview with you. We're also going to talk to Dana Griffin, who is a younger woman who lives in New York City, and she and two of her friends uh, from Europe have created a company called Eldra, where they are connecting people over the age of 60. You have to have had six decades of life experience with younger people people. It's a unique, unusual mentoring program, and we know you're going to love it. Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives, coming up next on Growing Boulder. You know, one of the biggest complaints that many of us share as we grow older is how fast everything seems to be going by. And and yes, some of it is because of our age. But over the years, the speed at which we live life has increased tremendously. I mean, we want everything fast, our food, our transportation, our information. Well, not everybody believes that faster is better. And we're about to hear from the leader of the global slow movement, a movement that's reexamining our culture with the goal of doing things at the right speed, doing things as well as you can instead of doing them as fast as you can. You know, when you slowed down there, I was on the edge of my seat listening to what (laughs) you said. It makes sense. And it applies to everything from how we work to how we eat and even how we relate to each other. It's about quality over quantity. And as Mark said, he's the voice of the slow movement. He travels the world to teach people how to thrive by slowing down. He's a journalist and an author. And his latest book, interestingly, is called Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives. He and Mark had an amazing conversation. Let's listen in. Carl, you are, uh, I guess, an understatement to, to call you a bit of a globetrotter. Uh, you have got clients, you've got speaking gigs, you've got media projects all over the world. You're in London now. Uh, Europe at this time really pretty much uh, in, in a state of lockdown, you know, almost the second wave of COVID there. How are you tolerating the pandemic, both personally and nationally? Well, I mean, it's a it's a big hit, right? I mean, it's it, we're all having different pandemics, you know, same storm, different boats. Uh, my boat is very much a bunker, right? Here I am hunkered down in my home, talking to you from my sofa in South London. Sometimes I feel like I haven't got off this sofa since March. 
because I, as you say, I used to, I used to be, you know, on planes and going around and doing stuff and I haven't, I haven't gone anywhere since. So, so in a sense, that's been quite tough, but there's been a, a kind of pleasing pivot. You know, that's the big word of the moment. I'm doing a lot of things now online uh, and finding that virtual is a lot more uh, fruitful, a lot more zingy, a lot more, a lot more helpful than I, I, I used to imagine it was. So I'm, I've moved a lot of my work online professionally from a personal point of view. I am, I'm yearning for more human contact, you know, we're social animals. And I think that's what most of us are feeling more starved of now than ever, you know, screen chats. I'm going to be doing a wine tasting quite soon online. It's not the same thing as being in the same room. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to getting back out there into the real world uh, with real people in real places. Well, you know, and there is many silver linings. And one of them is that, uh, is this, you know, we've kind of have met virtually and, you know, obviously I want to talk about your book Boulder because that is what brought us together. But, you know, I, I don't want to overlook, you know, the first part of your career. As I mentioned in the intro, you are an award-winning journalist, obviously with a very curious mind. And uh, Bold is your fourth book. Your first three were all at least directly related to uh, a movement that you've been called, you know, the godfather of the slow movement, the the global guru of slow, uh, the world's number one evangelist for, for slow moving. So if you can, give us the broad strokes of that, Carl. What attracted you to slow and why is it important for us? Sure. Well, I, 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 I'll start off by telling how I got into slow. I mean, I, I'm a naturally fast person and I had got stuck in fast forward every moment of my day was a race against the clock. And I I think when you get stuck in roadrunner mode like that, it takes a wake-up call to make you realize that you've forgotten how to slow down. That's doing real harm. And a lot of people find the wake-up call comes in the form of an illness. The body says, one day, that's it, no more. My wake-up call came when I started reading bedtime stories to my son. And I tell you what, I just couldn't slow down. Right? My version of Snow White had three dwarves in it, right? And I got to the point where I was flirting with buying a book I heard about called The One Minute Bedtime Story, right? Snow White in 60 Seconds. Okay. And I'm thinking, yes, great idea, Amazon drone delivery. And then, you know, the light bulb went on over my head and I thought, whoa, I'm racing through my life instead of actually living it. So I, I began to sort of unpeel my own addiction to speed, but that led me to the bigger picture of why are we also hooked on going faster and doing more and more in less and less time. And out of that came this whole slow movement, the slow philosophy, which Actually, it's not about doing everything slowly. That would be absurd. I'm not an extremist or a fundamentalist of slowness. Man, I love speed. Right? Faster is often better, but not always. And, and so slow with a capital S is about doing things at the right speed. You know, what musicians call the tempo justo, right? The right tempo for each moment. Sometimes fast, sometimes slower, right? You know, it's, it's a state of mind. It's about being present, being in the moment, kind of doing one thing at a time. Remember when we used to do that? It's ultimately about doing everything that's not as fast as possible, but as well as possible, right? But a very simple idea, hugely revolutionary one, I think, in this climate. So you, you, you arrive at each moment now with a slow chip, changes everything you do from the way you work, the way you make love, the way you raise your kids, the way you eat, everything, which is why this whole slow revolution has grown so fast. You know, what, what a blessing it is to do, you know, what we do. I often say, you know, to, to have an interest and be able to research it, explore it and learn about it. You know, ultimately, you know, you've got a media project in mind, but it affects your own life, changes how you live. How has slow changed, uh, changed Carl Honore? Well, utterly. And that was my big worry, right, was that I would end up with a, a media project or a book or something at the end and with no effect in my own life. But the opposite is true. I've managed to engineer a 180 degree 
turn. You know, I used, I have a very clear before and after my before every second of my life was a dash to the finish line. And, and I don't feel like that anymore. You know, I just simply don't feel rushed. I get lots done. I do interesting things. I, I have what I consider to be a, a rewarding and, and rich and, and, and wonderful life, but I don't, I've just lost that feeling of having to race the clock. And, and that's been such a game changer for me that it, you know, makes up for all the hard work that goes into getting a book like this together and a movement like this off the ground and, and all of the work that goes into keeping it afloat, right? You know, helping people bring their own version of slow to the table. And I, I found myself doing, you know, doing a lot of mentoring for people run, doing projects and so on. And of course, all the speaking and workshops and things that come off it. So um, yeah, I'm thankful that it actually utterly transformed my life. Otherwise, I probably would have checked out long ago. <laughs> Uh, we are talking with Carl Honoré from his home in, in London. And, you know, as I mentioned, this is a guy whose whose books have been translated into 35 different languages. He's an international uh, bestseller. He's a TED Talk superstar and just an, an all-around cool dude. And, uh, and, and folks, this is, this, this is what I'm listening to on, uh, on Audible right now. It's Carl's latest book, uh, Boulder. Uh, making the most of our longer lives. And this is really kind of what brought us together. And, and Carl, I told someone here in the office, I, I've been rushed all day and I, I had not prepared for the Carl Honore uh, interview. And then I realized, you know what, <laughs> we're talking about aging. And, and, I, and I mean this in the most positive way. I could have written your book uh, and you could have written my book. Uh, you know, obviously, and it's it's great. Two different voices that are very much aligned in talking about the same thing. So, so let's do talk about your book because one of the things I admire about you very, very much. Yeah, uh, you, know, you you mentioned you created a global movement uh, around slow. Uh, you know, something that 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 has resonated with an audience worldwide. Many people most people might have stopped right there and, and built this cottage industry around that. But no, you got focused on aging. Uh, you know, what was it about aging that, that inspired you so much uh, to, to move on? Yeah, I mean, I think partly I'm just intellectually restless. I, I, although I love the slow work I do, and I think it's immensely powerful and important for mankind and the planet and, and all of us on it, you know, it, it, it I don't want to feel like that's all I'll ever do for the rest of my life and, and, and locked in some kind of groundhog day. So I'm always on the lookout for new things to bring to the world, right? New ideas to explore and new, maybe even new movements to launch. And, I, and, and I've discovered now that I've, this boulders my fourth book. I've seen a pattern, which is that every book of mine always starts with a small existential crisis. And, and that's what happened with Boulder. And for me, it started at a hockey tournament where uh, I'm a big hockey player, Canadian, right? So it comes, comes with the territory. And, and I was, you know, playing very well. I just scored an incredible highlight reel goal to propel my team into the semifinals. And suddenly I was told by one of the organizers that I was the oldest player at the tournament. And it was so weird because I knew I was one of the oldest, right? I'm not deluded. But, but somehow to be the oldest, just it just rocked me to the very foundations of my being. And suddenly... It's like in the blink of an eye, I went from goal score to granddad. And I began to hear all of these questions in the back of my mind. You know, are people laughing at you? Do, I, you know, do you look out of place here? Is it time to take up a more age-appropriate pastime like bingo maybe? Uh, and don't get me wrong. I love a good game of bingo as much as anyone, but, but I, I prefer hockey at this point in my life. And it was just something about the fact that, I, that the, my chronological age, my, my birth date, those numbers on my driver's license suddenly took on this terrible power to to limit and define me they suddenly became a straitjack and i began questioning 
something that I, 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 I love doing and that I'm good at doing. And I began to think, well, why did I feel that way? What, what is it about age that can turn into this millstone around our necks? And I came away from that tournament thinking, I need to unpick this. There's something below the surface that I'm not getting here, right? I'm not doing aging right. And then, of course, you take a couple of steps into that world and you realize that we're all doing aging wrong, right? You know, we're in an era now when we're living longer, better for longer than ever before. And yet, have we ever felt worse about growing older? So there's this peculiar and toxic disconnect that's occurring. And I just stumbled into it in the middle of a hockey tournament. And that was that was really the spark for, for riding Boulder. Uh, yeah, and thank you for following that spark. And I think, and this happens to all of us. It, folks, this is what happens. At some point, we have... Uh, a thought, an event, somebody says something to us that, that makes us realize we're a certain age. And then all of a sudden, you know, all of the ages that has, you know, existed around us from the time we were born and this negative self-image begins to influence the way we age. And, and Carl, you know, I, I know we, we, we share stories, uh, which is really how you get people's attention, but we're both fascinated by research. And you quote Becca Levy and Ellen Langer and research that proves, uh, you know, the importance of, of, of our mindset. And, and that's yes. one of the many things I love about your book. And one of the reasons, folks, you should get this book by Carl Honore, because it, it is critically important to change your mindset about the way you age. There's, su there's such a, a natural, intimate bond between how you, how, you know, aging better and feeling better about aging, right? The two are inseparable. And that was yeah. one of the things that most blew me away in my research was, you, you mentioned some of the academics there that done a lot of the, the studies on it, that actually how we feel about aging affects the way we age. And I had I had no idea that that was the case. And, you know, it's quite a lot of research that shows that if you venerate youth and denigrate aging, you're more likely to age less well, right? You're less like you're more likely to develop dementia or physical cognitive decline or even die younger. So so ageism, right, buying into the cult of youth, the idea that it's all downhill from wherever, 35, 40, wherever you're drawing the line. If you buy into that idea, which is erroneous and wrong, you're actually harming yourself. You know, ageism, let's call it by its name, is the ultimate mm -hmm. act of self-harm, right? To buy into it, you're hurting yourself now, you're hurting your future self, and you're also hurting everyone around you. You're listening to Mark's Conversation with Carl Honore, the voice of the slow movement, and we will continue with that in just a moment. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Turning 64 is a time to celebrate as new adventures and opportunities await. And 64 is also a time to think about Medicare. Growing Boulder created a guide that helps explain it all. Available for free at growingbolder.com slash Medicare. Growing Boulder TV is back for its seventh season on public television, and it is bolder than ever. All new episodes begin airing weekly on WUCF Saturday mornings at 9.30, beginning May 8th. Welcome back to Growing Boulder. We've been listening to two of the most interesting minds anywhere on the subject of active aging. Carl Honore is considered the leader of the slow movement of replacing our obsession with speed for a quest for quality in how we live our lives. And his latest book is called Boulder, Making the Most of Our Longer Lives. And that's where we pick up the conversation between Carl and Mark Middleton. And, you know, folks, one of the things I love about Carl Honore's book is, is honestly, Carl, I think your book might have 
as much residents and greater long-term impact to a 20 and a 30 and a 40-year-old than a 60 and a 70-year-old. Not to say that 60 and 70-year-olds shouldn't shouldn't read it, but you know, this, this is a problem with a lot of the people that create content for aging is that it feels old, it smells old, and it eliminates a, the, the people who can benefit most from it. And, and if you wanna change your, the way you age, you need to change your mindset. And reading Carl's book uh, is a great way to do that. So Carl, you've written it for everybody. This is not for a particular demographic, is it? Very much so. I mean, I, I, Coming out the other end of it, I realized that I wish I had written this book 20 years ago for my 30-year-old self, right? Because that way I would have saved myself two decades of shame, fear, dread, disgust, guilt about aging. You know, I would have saved myself 20 years of self-harming ageism, you know, doing my own self, my own, my own self-damage. And, and that's what I found actually now that the book is out in the world and landing with people that the range of people re- reading it is so wide. I mean, the oldest reader I've had so far that I've heard from is a 96-year-old that I'm hearing from a lot of people in their late 20s, early 30s, around that, around those milestone birthdays when the ageist industrial complex begins to weigh more heavily on us and we begin to hear that little voice whispering in the back of our head, you know, you, maybe you're too old for this, right? People can start feeling that as, as early as their late 20s. So I, I, I feel that when we talk about the kind of work that you're doing with Going Boulder and that I'm trying to do with my book as well. This is something that is for all of us because we are all marinated in the same poisonous soup of ageism, right? And it's hurting all of us, whatever age we are. And the earlier and the younger we start, the better. So one of the things that I'm doing actually through workshops and that is really getting these ideas into schools, like doing events for teenagers to get them to think about what age means, what what, what their future self might look like, to break out of that rigid three-stage life path of that we've inherited from you know before which is early life is education middle life is making money careers maybe having kids and then last stage is pension leisure right and to smash that and tear it down and say that life is a long arc and it's up to you to decide what your life is going to look like at each stage whether you're 25 35 55 85 or 105 right but the earlier you start the better it's going to be for you and everyone around you Amen, brother. Uh, yours is a voice that, that we need in this movement. And I got two more questions, at, at least. Um, you, know, you know, first of all, I, I know you're not leaving the, the slow movement, and I know you'll never leave, uh, you know, the bold movement. But uh, is there a broad strokes takeaway of the two combined? I mean, what has Carl Honore learned about life in general that you could share with the rest? I mean, I guess in some ways people often say it's the time. Time is maybe the kind of leitmotif here. It's the the thread that links it all together is how we think about time. And of course, slow is all about pace and the use of time and being in the moment. And there's something to do with that with Boulder as well. It's rethinking the long arch arc, arc of time, right? The long arc of a lifetime. Thinking not so much in terms of minutes, hours, days, and months, but thinking years and decades and, and, and reshaping and reframing how we feel about time and how we use it and how we approach each moment in the now and also how we think about each moment in the future. So if, if I had to link the two bits of my oeuvre together, I think that might be the, the, the most obvious bridge is, is time and what we, what we do with it, how we feel about it. I can't wait to see what you do next. And as you say that, I'm wondering if maybe mindfulness is going to be the next thing. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm pretty sure you're not going to move on for this. But is there a next next thing yet? Is there something that has captured your intellectual curiosity that you're now beginning to research that you can share with us? Or is that Uh, a secret? 
No, it wouldn't be a secret. No, I'm. I, it's just that I haven't. I haven't. I guess I haven't had a the right existential crisis yet to to spur me to move into it. I have. I haven't identified my next the next lake I'm going to dive into. Uh, I'm. 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 I, I, I am where I am at the moment, and, and I guess in some ways coming back full circle to the pandemic. You know, and I'm just trying to keep balls in the air and keep on keeping on, which is really what most of us have to aspire to at the moment. But who knows? I mean, these things sometimes come like lightning bolts. So. Maybe next week I'll I'll find the next um, the next furrow that I'm going to be plowing. Well, I'm going to be paying attention. Uh, you know, Carl, I I think like you, I'm pretty damn excited uh, about the future and, and about growing older. And there's not a lot of people there, you know, outside of this this space that I'm standing in right now that make me feel excited. A lot of people that, that, that make me curious, a lot of people that give me information, a lot of people that provide resources, but very few people that get me excited about what's next. And you're one of them. And, and I tell you, when the pandemic is, is over, you're either coming uh, to, to here or I'm coming to London and we're going to hang out at a pub and, uh, and, and solve the problems of the world. Deal. <laughs> uh, That's a deal. Uh, <laughs> Find out more about Carl Honore, his book, and the slow movement at carlhonore.com. Up next, another incredible visionary, this one creating an online global village to connect the old with the young. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. What's it like to be 50, 60, 70, or even older? Well, if you ask, most people say something like, well, I feel pretty normal for my age. And that brings up an interesting question. What is normal as we age? Sometimes it's hard to know what really happens and what things are just myths. So here are some of the things you can expect that come with age. First, blood vessels and arteries do get stiffer over time, which mean our hearts have to work harder to pump blood. It's why high blood pressure is so common. And here's what you can do about it. Stay active, exercise, keep your weight down, and try to get seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Second, you start having trouble with your eyesight. You might find you need reading glasses. Well, the same type of thing happens with our hearing, too. We become more sensitive and can struggle to hear conversations. And third, have you noticed any changes with your teeth and gums? Our mouths do tend to get drier, which increases the risk of tooth decay and infections. Dentists say you should brush twice and floss once a day to keep your mouth healthy. Fourth, once you hit your 40s and 50s, your bones do begin to weaken too. They become less dense and more brittle. This increases the risk of fractures, aches, and pains. Make sure you get enough calcium and vitamin D. You can get it from tuna and sardines and egg yolks and fortified foods such as milk. And do try to spend time in the sun because that can make a big difference as well. Finally, you'll probably notice the biggest changes 
in the bathroom. It can become difficult to control your bladder. Many people do experience leakage when they cough or sneeze. For women, it could be due to menopause, and for men, it could be signs of an enlarged prostate. Try to cut back on caffeine, alcohol, sodas, and foods that are high in acid. The bottom line, take your health into your own hands by eating right, exercising, and having regular checkups. It really does make a difference when it comes to knowing what's normal and what isn't. You'll find more information at com slash Medicare. She is the co-founder and the CEO of Eldra, uh, which is a global intergenerational mentoring system that uh, connects those with at least six decades of life experience with boys and girls who are five to 15. She is uh, the creator of a virtual village that underscores the value of elders, uh, the value that they bring to society by sharing their wisdom with youngsters. Who doesn't need a early lesson in empathy? And before we introduce uh, Dana, uh, here's one of my favorite quotes, uh, and it's a popular Growing Boulder meme. It's from the Oscar, Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Award-winning actress and humanitarian uh, Audrey Hepburn, who said, quote, as you grow older, you will discover that you have hands, one for helping yourself and the other for helping others. And of course, in her later years, Hepburn worked tirelessly for UNICEF in some of the poorest communities in Africa, South America, and Asia. She obviously knew what Dana Griffith knows, uh, and that is that as we age, we become more and more purpose-driven at a time when it becomes more and more difficult to share your wisdom. So let's find out how Eldera is doing. uh, Hi, Dana, how are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Thank you for having me. We're excited to talk to you. We really appreciate it. it. And before I ask you about Krav Maga, because (laughs) I got to know how you got into that, tell us uh, how Eldera works. Um, so we founded we founded Aldera uh, this March uh, during the quarantine, and the reason why we did that is because uh, we found that there were millions um, of amazing mentors who have decades of life experience who were stuck at home, and at the same time, there were millions of kids who were stuck at home, and their parents were really in need of a little bit of help. So my co-founders and I came together, and we decided, you know what? Let's just put uh, the two generations together and see what happens and let them take care of each other. And what happened was incredible. You know, we now have kids in 17 countries uh, and all of our mentors are in the U.S. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. We get messages both from our mentors and our our parents every day about how uh, being part of Eldera is changing their their days and their lives and you know, fundamentally, when we started this with my co-founders, Kate and Jules, we just wanted to make someone's day better um, during the pandemic. And and now our hopes are that we can take the, the love and generosity and learning that, that gets shared at Eldera every day uh, around the world. I want to know more about how Eldera works. But, but before you share that with us, uh, I know that you came about your desire to to help elders naturally. Um, uh, You were raised by your grandmother. Tell us a little bit about your own background and why you have such reverence for older people. Yes, thank you. 
you know, I didn't even realize that I had a reverence for older people or that that was unusual in any way. So I was born in Transylvania and Romania, and I was raised by my grandparents. Um, and when my grandparents passed away, I ended up moving to the States for university um, in 2001, so quite a while ago. And uh, I continued searching out mentors, elder mentors, to help me with all my life decisions, from finding my first job, to finding an apartment, to dating, to cooking cooking, to making investments, but 30 or so percent of my friend group is between 60s and 90s. Um, and let me tell you, taking dating advice from 90-year-old ladies <laughs> is pretty fantastic. Um, but <laughs> And, you know, I pursued a career in, in advertising and data, and uh, it was just about three years ago when one of my, my dearest people, my dearest mentors, who is a mother figure to me uh, here in New York, ended up passing away um, from cancer. And that's when I really realized the gift that I've been given uh, by having access to these incredible mentors. Um, and I realized that our, our relationship was synergetic. It was really good for me because I needed advice. Uh, I needed someone who's been through what I've been through to, to give me advice and care for me. Um, and it was also really good for them because they could see their their legacy lived through through my actions. Um, and it was fun for both of us. And that's that's when I realized that I, I wanted to make this intergenerational connection available for everyone around the world because it's really good for us. Well, what you have done, and folks, we're speaking with Dana Griffin, and I hope you heard her intro and understand that she is an expert uh, on data and artificial intelligence. She's an age tech entrepreneur who is now kind of marshalling all of these skills uh, to do something for older people, which is really, really cool. And I think that's one of the reasons, uh, other than the fact I, I love uh, you know, what you're doing, but how you're doing it uh, is one of the things that really captured my attention because uh, you've, uh, this is a curated experience. All of your mentors are given a, a background check. Uh, you guys have your own platform, your technology platform that people use. It's safe and it's secure. So talk to us a little bit about how the experience works and, and what it's like for someone to become a mentor. One of our goals in building out there is to make it as natural and as easy as possible for people to connect. And we're all about one-on-one -on -one connections. So in fact, um, we don't give people choices. We match them. And we match the mentor with the parent and the kid uh, based on a lot of different variables. So the way this works is that you sign up on our website and you fill out a profile, whether you're a mentor or a parent. And if you're a mentor, we ask that you have at least six decades of experience. Uh, and that's a non-negotiable, by the way. Uh, that is something I really, really believe in. Um, and once you have six years of, uh, 60 years of experience, uh, we, uh, we put you through a background check. We vet you. That is why you know, people ask us, are mentors from around the world? No, all of our mentors are in the U.S. right now. So after we vet you, we put you through a training, and then I personally onboard every single mentor and prepare them for their first conversation and their match. And that's when my co-founder, Kate, takes over. She is, uh, we call her our Yenta. She goes through the profiles um, and everything everyone writes about themselves. And we ask things anywhere from, uh, for the mentors in particular, we ask them about 
their previous work experience, if they have kids or grandkids, what's their superpower, uh, what's their favorite childhood book, uh, and their availability. But then we also look not just at what they write, but when they fill out the application, how they fill it out. Do they write with capital letters or not? There's a lot of behavioral signals that we take into consideration in addition to how how uh, you speak about yourself. And all of those uh, signals come into play when we make match. Because really, Aldera is about finding that perfect match between an elder and a kid. And what we've also realized is once we match an elder and a kid, every single relationship is completely unique. Because think of Aldera almost as the opposite of social media. We provide the platform, we provide uh, the tools and the safety net, and then every single match creates their perfect, unique relationship and friendship. In fact, the way we measure the success of our matches is in recurring conversations. And 92% of the people that ever signed up on our platform now speak once or twice a week for months on end. Um, So we're very, very excited about that. The idea is fabulous. The execution is is amazing. And, you know, another thing, folks, that I liked about this is that, you know, once the mentors are cleared and vetted and trained, uh, they communicate directly only with the parents, except when they have their mentoring session. uh, And then they get to talk to the kids. But there is no communication between the mentor and the children outside uh, of these mentoring sessions. Do I have that right? You have that exactly right. Uh, There are a lot of ways that we built in safety into our community. In fact, my co-founder, Kate, was a prosecutor in New York. Um, So we're very, very tight about safety. Uh, And that is why kids cannot sign up, kids do not communicate, except on the session that is um, parent-approved, it's password-protected, you know, we record on and off sessions for for quality assurance, and, and we make sure all of that is incredibly tight. You know what? you should know too, is that we didn't think the parents are going to play that big of a role, but we're learning now from our mentors that, you know, parents reach out to them too, because they want that mentoring relationship. In fact, we see this sometimes in calls happening and it's adorable. The mentor is talking to the kid and then the parent sits down and just like scoots over the kid because they want to have that relationship and mentorship too. So eventually the mentor becomes part of the family. And uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, it's it, it is very very exciting and. Um... I, I just love what you're doing, obviously, and how you're doing it. And what type of a, of a commitment is required from a mentor? I mean, do, do you require that they talk to them once a week, once a month? Well, what's the ideal situation and, and the amount of commitment required? Thank you for asking me that because, um, you know, we don't make a very um, – the commitment is quite lightweight. So we ask mentors to sign up once a week for 30 minutes to an hour. We like them to keep an hour, and here's why. Once you get the kids talking, um, you know, that 30 minute can go to an hour, and it's fun for both of them. Um, But that's about the commitment. We also check in every four weeks with both the mentors and the parents to see how they're doing. If they need anything extra, um, you know, if they're still enjoying the commitment, and this is how we learn. But, you know, Eldera is actually about much more than just that one-on-one relationship. And everything we've built from that first call 
has been directed by our mentors. Um, I'll give you a few examples here uh, because it's really fun. Even when I onboard mentors uh, multiple times a week, I tell them, please tell me anything you can think of for Aldera because that is how we build our product. Um, so, in fact, one of our early mentors is a friend of my co-founder, um, actor Richard Kind. And, uh, you know, when it came to storytelling, he said, I would like to do storytelling for kids. And in fact, he dubs a lot of kid movies. So that's really cool. But I want an audience. So he said, OK. We emailed all of our parents um, and they signed up and then Richard read stories. And that was our first fireside chat because then the parents said, this was fabulous. When's the next one? And can I invite other friends? So that was fireside chat. Great. Then a couple weeks in, um, we were talking to the mentors one-on-one, uh, either Kate or myself, as our uh, our third co-founder, Jules, builds all the technology behind us. That's, that's really essential. We were talking to the mentors and they said, you know, you girls are great. But really, we want to talk to the other mentors to see what they're doing um, and things they found uh, that work with the kids. And that started our mentor council. So every two weeks, all of our mentors get together and they discuss tips, books, activities, issues that may come up. We bring in speakers, like child psychiatrists that are also Eldera parents to answer questions about how to deal with different things. So... From Mentor Council, after doing that a few times, every time after Mentor Council, we would write them an email with all the books and activities and everything they shared. And, you know, they said to us, no, this is great, but we want to talk to each other in between Mentor Councils. And we want to have a place where we can search for activities and books when we need them, not go through all your emails. So our co-founder, Zhu, was like, okay, let's do that. So now we built a private community that is invite only for our mentors where they get to share ideas and uh, and talk to each other and counsel each other on the best things to do. Um, for instance, one of the top activities to do, uh, in particular with kids under 10, is to have to ask the parent for the kid to prepare a paper bag and put three of their favorite things in the paper bag. And so does the mentor, by the way. And then they do a show and tell. Hmm. All the kids love show and tell. And that's the that's how they get to know each other. And it's so beautiful to see what they put in the bag, but also what the mentors put in the bag. Um, and how they always, always, in the first 20 minutes of the first call, they find something they have in common, which is incredible. Well, congratulations on what you're building. And obviously, it is a work in progress as you continue to learn and refine and modify. And folks, you know, this is unique. This is a global, as you guys call it, Dana, it's a global community of soul. And, you know, we need this more than ever. We obviously need intergenerational connection, but we need to understand that as different as, as we all are, we are all very much the same. And, and I think uh, Eldera is doing it exactly right. Dana, I'm not going to ask you uh, about the, the health benefits for either the youngsters or uh, the, the mentors, because I'm going to talk about that myself here in just a second. But stick, stick, stick around for a minute, if you will. And, and folks, if you do want to share your wisdom, if you want to reap the rewards of helping a youngster, uh, all you have to do is go to Eldera. Dot AI. I think we have the address where you can learn more about becoming part of global, virtual, intergenerational village. Uh, and in Eldera's own world, the only requirement 
is to be kind, to be curious, and to be giving. And who doesn't want to be that? You know, for many older adults, uh, this is now a life stage in search of a purpose. And finding a purpose uh, is absolutely critical to our healthy longevity. As we age, you know, we, we all have a need to be needed, uh, and society has a need for our voices to be heard. Older adults uh, are an incredible source of wisdom and experience and intellectual capital, and, and that's why programs like Eldera are so important. Uh, you know, in a society that has become segregated by age, uh, breaking down the barriers between generations, and mentoring provides learning opportunities for children that will inform the way they age uh, in the years ahead. Uh, because what we've learned at Growing Boulder time and time again uh, is, is that the way we age is primarily a function of our mindset, and our mindset is established at a very, very early age. And young children need to know that adults can be fun, they can be creative, they can be interesting, they can be generous, they can be compassionate, they can be empathetic, they can be silly. Uh, you know, these are these, these are obvious things that we all know that but many children really don't understand that. And, and ultimately, that is going to translate into increased respect for their older selves in the future. Uh, but the benefits are also immediate. Children uh, with senior mentors have been proven to uh, have an increased motivation to learn. They have better leadership. They have better communication skills. Uh, and maybe most importantly, they have higher self-esteem. Uh, and of course, uh, and here's the other part of that equation, the benefits go both ways. Multiple uh, studies have shown that um, Americans over age 60 uh, that are volunteers uh, compared to non-volunteers have lower mortality rates, they have fewer physical limitations, they have higher levels of well-being, they have a lower incidence of cognitive decline. So volunteering is one of the greatest things you can do no matter how you do it. Uh, and volunteering in a way that helps kids, I, I think, is especially powerful. And, and thanks to people like uh, Dana and Eldra, you can now do it from home. Dana, thank you again uh, for hanging out. Thank you for, for sharing your story and your company. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best. And let's do stay in touch. That was awesome. What a great idea it is. I'm sure there are people that didn't even know it existed. And the benefits, Mark, you said you wanted to talk about the benefits, not just to those over 60 that volunteering provides, but also for kids too. You know, volunteering is a win-win-win, really, everybody on all sides of that equation. But yeah, for people over the age of 60 that volunteer, it gives you a purpose. And Bill, as you and I have learned, purpose is what keeps people alive. It actually is good for your health. It lowers mortality rates, there's less depression, higher levels of well-being, and it can help fight off cognitive decline, which is something all people are, uh, you know, nervous about as we age. And for kids and teens, mentoring provides a unique learning opportunity. It's a source of wisdom, and it helps create uh, a mindset that is important for healthy aging. It increases your motivation. Uh, it inspires leadership skills, and, and maybe most importantly, Bill, higher self-esteem. So yeah, it's a good thing. It's awesome. So for more information, just go to Eldera, E-L-D-E-R-A dot A-I. Coming up, we'll find out what's on Mark's mind. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being, 
More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Welcome back to Growing Boulder, the program that reminds you that it is never too late to live a better more purposeful and healthier life. And one of the ways we do that is through our speaker series, Growing Boulder's Launchpad to What's Next. Dr. James Smith Jr. has been described as a lightning rod for personal development, diversity, passion, and creativity. And here's what he has to say about how to see yourself. We don't believe that we're capable of bigger things. And I don't say think, I say believe, because believe is stronger than thinking. If I were to say to you, I think I'm a good facilitator. I believe I'm a good facilitator. Big difference. A lot of us playing it small, not believing in ourselves, and fear judgment so much. We fear others' opinion. It's just their opinion. When does their opinion become your opinion? And why do you allow it? You get it wrong, so what? You get it right, so what? Just keep getting it. But at a time when most of us are told to slow down, you're pushing us to ramp up. I direct, I star, I write the script for my movie. My movie is my life. The fans, the critics, everyone can say, that movie should be about, ah. I say what the movie should be about. And then box office smash or it doesn't do well. But at least I'm doing it my way. Well, that was Dr. James Smith Jr. from Growing Boulder's Launchpad to What's Next. Time now to hear from another inspiring thought leader. Mark Middleton is Growing Boulder's creator, visionary, and CEO. And right now he has something important on his mind. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking a lot about healthcare lately, Bill. It's been in the news, uh, you know, constantly for a while. And as I was thinking about that, it, it led me to think about uh, stomatitis moriitis. Uh, I read about his story. I've had that. It's terrible. <laughs> Well, uh, it, it looked like it was going to be terrible for him as well. Dan Butner, our friend who started the Blue Zones, wrote about stomatitis moriitis in, in the New York Times years ago, and I was fascinated. So here's quickly what his story is. He was a Greek immigrant who was injured in World War II, and he came to the U.S. with a mangled arm to get treated. It ended up uh, settling in Boynton Beach, Florida. He got married. He had three kids. And when he was in his 60s, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Ten different doctors confirmed the diagnosis, and all of them told him he had less than a year to live. Uh, he also didn't have much money. And so he, when he learned what it would cost to have aggressive treatment for his lung cancer, he said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to move back to the island of Icaria in Greece where he grew up. He moved back there with his wife. They moved in with his elderly parents who lived in a small house, and they had a little um, grove where, where they made their wine. Uh, he laid in bed. His wife and his parents tended to him. He would go to church on Sunday and reconnected with his faith. He would take long naps. Uh, one day he wandered into town to a tavern and started to drink wine with his friends from 
from when he grew up many, many years ago. They didn't know he was in town. So then they started coming to his house, and they played dominoes in his house, and they laughed. And, you know, one day he started a garden just because he had a little bit of energy, and he knew he wouldn't live long enough uh, to, to harvest anything out of his garden, but that was okay. He just wanted to do it. Well, you know where this story is going. Um, he ended up eating food out of the garden. He began to walk more briskly to the tavern at night. He drank wine that was grown in his own vineyard. He laughed with his childhood friends. They told stories. Sixty-five years later, when he was 102, he died. Uh, he never received any treatment at all for his cancer. Uh, his cancer was gone. And he did go back to the States to visit one day, and he said, uh, I looked up my doctors because I wanted to ask them what they thought about me still being here. And Dan Buettner asked him, what did they say? And he said they didn't say anything because they were all dead. Uh, and, and what I'm saying, folks, is health care is important. We're not suggesting that you ignore doctors' uh, diagnosis. You, you, we're not suggesting you ignore treatment. But, but what I am saying is that the value of friends, the value of socialization, the value of laughter, uh, the value of relaxing and breathing clean air and eating good food cannot be undervalued. That is the best medicine of all. You know, the way you told that story, Mark, even— even when you said that he planted a vegetable garden and he didn't think he would ever harvest it, if you would have said right then and there that he passed away, and then you would have compared that mm. to spending that time laying in a hospital bed, being a guinea pig or whatever happens when you're there, man, I sure would have been tempted to choose going back to the island, reconnecting with friends. But we, we don't think that way. We fight to the end to deny that an end's ever going to come. And we diminish what should be one of the most beautiful, compelling times in life, a chance to reconnect and to go out with style and We're class. We're going to have to talk about this on another show because we're running out of time. But, but, but you make a really good point. At some, at some point, I think we all have to uh, surrender. Uh, I'm going to fight as hard as I can, but hopefully I hope I realize that it's time to surrender. And sometimes by surrendering like Stomatis Moriatis does, you actually win the war. What a great story. This is the best segment on the radio, What's <laughs> on My Mind with Mark Middleton. And folks, we want to remind you that Growing Boulder continues on at growingbolder.com. Check it out for information, tools, resources, and a whole lot more to help inspire you, to help you think about your life and what you really want out of it. Go to growingbolder.com. Thanks for listening to us here on Growing Boulder. We'll see you once again soon. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fires.